Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Kurt and Blake's Comic Conundrums and Other Geeks Speak. I'm Blake. And I'm Kurt. We've got a special episode for you this week. We put things on hold so that we can talk about Stan Lee. Yeah, some real tragic news this week. On Monday the 12th, uh, Stan Lee, a little after noon, I believe, passed away. Um, he was rushed to Cedar Cyanide Hospital, and he was pronounced dead there. Um, really sad news coming out this week. Yeah, and from the response that we've seen in the entertainment world, it's not as if Blake and I knew Stan, but from the response we've seen in the entertainment world, he touched a lot of lives there, and you know, I think just what we've seen from our friends who didn't know Stan personally, it's very clear that uh, even the people who didn't know Stan loved him and loved his work and that he had a big effect on uh, probably all of us. Anyone who's into the geek culture, into comic books, even tangentially, um, tangentially, excuse me. And, of course, maybe for a lot of the younger folks, maybe he's more of a movie guy at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, I think we saw everyone kind of have, they had a moment, maybe not with Stanley, but about Stanley, whether it's, you know, the Marvel editor pen where Stan would write the, uh, essentially the letter section where he would answer letters and stuff, or when you'd kind of hear about him being the, I mean, he was essentially, while being the biggest, the co-creator of a lot of Marvel characters, he was also the Marvel ambassador. He really pushed for comics to enter, enter the mainstream. Right, and he really changed the way comics approached the fan. I, I, I think part of what you're talking about is Stan Soapbox. Mm-hmm. And he would talk about the Mary Marvel Marching Society, and he would very much um, create this, this feeling amongst the fans that you were part of a bigger, a larger group and, you know, make my marvel. Yeah. And that you were part of that world. And uh, so I think he was, I don't even know if he really knew what he was doing. But, of course, you know, he was really tapping into tribalism in, in a certain way. And um, connecting people and, and making you feel like you were part of something. And at the same time he was doing that, or maybe even before he was doing that, at the same time he was doing that, and after he was doing that, he was doing a very good job of, of going out on speaking tours. He would go to college campuses and that sort of thing and, and talk about Marvel. And that, that's to say nothing of, as you mentioned, how many characters he was involved in co-creating, how many stories he wrote. And, and you know, I think his, his work varies as a writer, but he was involved in... in some classic storylines, such as the the Galactus Saga with Fantastic Four. Yeah, I say, um, why don't we break this up into kind of three sections. We can talk about Stan Lee, the comic book writer and co-creator. We'll talk about Stan Lee, the brand ambassador, you know, pushing Marvel. And then we'll kind of talk about just Stan Lee and our thoughts about, and you know, everything about that. So Stan... Stan Lee, or Stan Lieberman? Stanley Lieberman. Stanley Lieberman. I take it back. Like, Stanley Lieber. Stanley Lieber. I don't think there was a man at the end of it, although he was Stan the man. Yeah. Stanley Lieber, um, his brother Larry Lieber also wrote comics, but you know, apparently he used 
the name Stan Lee because he wanted to keep Stanley Lieber for when he wrote the great American novel. Yeah, so he had originally never been super into comics. Um, it was kind of just a job he took to make a little money while he was writing his great American novel. He wanted to be the J.D. Salinger of his time. Right, and I believe Martin Goodman was an in-law. And Martin Goodman owned Timely Comics, which was Marvel before Marvel. It's what Marvel was called before Marvel. And he gave Stan a job. And it's a very interesting story because it wasn't until Stan was 39 that he did the Fantastic Four with Jack Kirby and really started his run of greatness. You know, he was really pushing towards the second half of his life, although... When you lived in 95, maybe that's not numerically accurate, but, you know, he was almost 40 years old before he went on this great journey uh, with Marvel. Yeah, I mean, so up to that point, he was writing horror comics, sci-fi stories, um, you know, weird tales, and then he meets Jack Kirby, and they work together, and the interesting thing about the, I mean, what was the Marvel method under Stan Lee was that he would give a rough story outline, or him and Kirby would kind of come up with a rough story idea, and then he would tell Kirby to go draw it. And Kirby would lay it out and, you know, design everything. And I, I believe Stan had input on, like, the costumes and stuff a little bit, but, you know, it was mainly... Yeah, when they were creating characters, I think Kirby would generally work with Stan on, on the look of the character... But when they were writing books, you're right, they, they used what was called the Marvel Method. Stan would tell Jack or write Jack a little blurb of what he wanted. Jack would, would do the work, the drawing and the work, and um, I think he would be involved in plotting. I know Steve Ditko was credited as a co-plotter in Spider-Man, but he would give Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko, here's what I want to do. They would draw it up. And then Stan would get it back and then add the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And now you do hear stories of sometimes Stan would tell Jack something and then Jack would just go off in a whole other direction. But essentially they would kind of write the books together and then Stan would go in and insert all the dialogue. Um, that's why he's known as the co-creator on essentially all these characters um, you know, it's split because it's not like today where most writers, when they write out their script, there's, you know, character descriptions and all that stuff. You know, back then it was a little bit more, you know, writer artists working together. Yeah. And the Marvel method was, I think it's probably still used a little bit, but it's not used as much anymore. And I think to comic book detriment, I think the, the, you know, the great era, era, era of comics, the Marvel method was very much in vogue. Of course, nowadays, you don't have to, to, to... I mean, back then, they didn't sit in the same room and work together. A lot of what Stan wrote about the bullpen, he was just trying to make Marvel sound more exciting than it was. I mean, Ditko and, and Stan Lee famously didn't talk for years. Ditko would drop off his works, and then Stan would finish it off with his dialogue. But, you know, the Marvel method was successful, and I think it came about somewhat out of necessity because Stan was writing like 10 books and it was like, Hey, I cannot do a 20 page script for each book. So I'm going to rely on the artists more. And I think that really allowed these great artists like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and um, Gene Colin, Nolan, uh, and some of the others to really flourish. And we were able to see their creative vision, which was awesome. 
and uh, and very much shape the modern day. Yeah, and I mean, so understandly, you have some of the most characters that people have heard of created. I mean, he's essentially the half the father of Marvel. Uh, when you look at, he did Ant Man, he did Iron Man, he did uh, the Fantastic Four, the X Men. I mean, he think Doctor of a Marvel Strange. character, and he probably did it. Doctor Silver Strange, Surfer, Spider Man. Yeah, and he famously and jealously, even when he retired or not retired, but stopped writing, held on to the Silver Surfer. If anyone wanted to do a Silver Surfer story up until the eighties, um, they wouldn't be able to do it. It was Stan's character he kind of held on to doing it. Stan loved that character. And then finally in the 80s, he kind of relinquished it a bit. And Jim Starlin and some other people were able to do some great work with Silver Surfer. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just incredible, the characters that he created and or co-created at Marvel. I mean, I'm looking at a list on Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, but it's over almost 200 characters. I believe it. And a lot of big-name ones, I mean, Doctor Doom... You know, Dormammu, but there's some that you don't even, like, really think of, like... Mysterio. Yeah, Mysterio, or Groot, or Growing Man, like, weird ones. Um, so Stan worked, you know, he, he did the Marvel Method, and then he also did some writing. You know, and we had talked about, <clears throat> you and I have talked on this podcast before when we were critiquing DC movies. And, you know, we talked about our disappointment with some of the movies, and I was always surprised. And Jim Shooter had said this one time that Superman and Batman are by far the most popular and well-known superheroes, at least before 2008. You know, I don't know how the movies have changed that. And we both said the only characters from Marvel that might be able to compare to them would be Spider-Man or the Hulk. Both characters co-created by Stan. Mm-hmm. I mean, he... What he did at Marvel was he created all the characters. And it's not just the characters he made, but the way that he wrote them. If you were looking at what is now DC Comics back then, a lot of their characters were perfect. I mean, they were, they didn't have real problems, you know. Yeah, Superman was fighting crime and stuff, but that was kind of it. But understand Lee, he created characters that you could relate to. I mean... Growing up as a kid and reading older Spider-Man, I felt like Peter Parker. Right, yeah, it, Spider-Man was really one of the books that sucked me in. I mean, I had a copy of Amazing Fantasy number one, and then I had a, a copy of the book where he meets Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Stan Lee was credited, I believe, as the author or the writer on both of those. And then, of course, we're not talking about this person, but X-Men 149 was another comic that was influential on me. But you're right. I mean, that's what really got me to be a Marvel fan. And, and of course, now I'm, I'm expanding more into some of the DC titles because DC changed because of, because of what Stan was doing at Marvel. We had characters with problems. We had characters with emotions. We had characters with money issues. And then, of course, he created, and this, is, this might be his greatest creation, is the interconnected universe. These heroes would run into each other. They knew each other. Spider-Man would, would go and fight the Fantastic Four or fight with the Fantastic Four. And I don't know that DC was doing that up until they started, I think, their JLA yeah. book, which when that started, um, comics were kind of 
superhero comics weren't a thing, and the Western comics and the horror comics, it was a dying business. And I believe Martin Goodman told Stan Lee, hey, do something like Justice League of America. And right around the same time, Stan was complaining to his wife, Joan, about, you know, I'm getting sick of this business. I can't do what I want. And Joan had said, why don't you write a book the way that you want? Stan and Jack Kirby created Fantastic Four, number one, and it just blew off the shelves, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it goes without saying that Stan's writing career in comics is prolific. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, there has been some debate since his passing, because there's always been this debate about him and Kirby and him and Ditko, but I think if you were to look at the... I mean, the big names in comic books, those three at the top. Equal. Yeah, and, and I think the debate's kind of silly. I mean, at this point, we know that these guys were co-creators. Ditko was actually credited as a co-plotter on Spider-Man. Um, I think there was some hard feelings from Kirby. Not necessarily, I mean, I think for a while it was at Stan. I think they kind of made up towards the end. But... The idea that Stan was getting all the credit, even though Stan would in interviews say things like, I'm working with other people, you know, Stan was so boisterous and so charismatic that the, the media would focus on Stan, and Stan Lee was going out selling Marvel and doing these tours, and um, so I think, well, I know Kirby wasn't getting the credit he probably deserved. I don't know how much of that is Stan Lee's fault. Um, based on what I've heard other creators write and say that worked with the two of them, um, it seems to me that most of the creators actually think that that Stan should get more credit because over time, I think uh, things shifted and people started to say, well, Kirby did all this stuff. Well, I don't think that's true either. I think, uh, you know, I w we'll never know who exactly did what, who said what, but I think it's fair to say co-creators on a lot of this stuff and great work. I mean, I think these three men probably brought out the best in each other. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I'm going to use a sports analogy. I don't know if Tom Brady is as great without Bill Belichick or if Bill Belichick is great without Tom Brady. I don't know if Jack Kirby doesn't come to, you know, and him and Stan Lee don't work together. I don't know what happens. I mean, right. who knows if this whole industry that we have today would even exist. Um, and you kind of mentioned this, and I say we move on to the next part. Stan Lee, the brand ambassador. So he had the Stan Soapbox when he was editor at Marvel. Yeah, he was editor-in-chief at Marvel for 25 years. That's I'm not sure the exact right. number, but from, I think, the early 60s into the... Well, maybe... I think Roy Thomas took over in the late 70s. So, you know, maybe not quite 20 years. But, so he, during his time at Marvel, he created the Stan Soapbox where he kind of pushed Marvel. He did the Make Mine of Marvel where he made it this competition where you either like Marvel or you like DC. You can't like both. You gotta pick one. And Stan always made a case for why you should pick Marvel. And then once he was done being editor-in-chief at Marvel, they still kept him on to do... He was big on working and trying to sell the properties for movies. Yeah, he was always considered the head of Marvel. I don't know if he had 
what his title was after editor-in-chief, but he had moved out, he had moved from New York to Los Angeles to try to sell Marvel to TV and and film, basically film media. Mm. And I mean, he was such a personality, he was also doing the con circuits, but I mean, Stan Lee, he, you know, he recently became more of a comic books are great, but up to the 2000s, he was a Marvel man through and through. He and so it, during the 90s, when the comic book industry was kind of falling apart, Stan Lee was out there essentially selling off the Marvel properties. You know, I don't know if he was the one making the deal or whatever, but he was helped getting it to studios to make comic books into movies. And I think he's a big reason for why we see what we see on screens today. Yeah, absolutely. It's with Stan Lee. He had some success when he went out to Hollywood, but not a lot because, you know, comic books at that time still weren't taken all that seriously. And, I mean, let's face it, the technology didn't really exist to do this. But he did have some success. The Incredible Hulk TV series was successful. He had There was a Spider-Man animated series and a Spider-Man live action. For me... Um, I remember being a little kid. I looked forward to this. They had the Spider-Man Amazing Friends and Incredible Hawk cartoon hour. And my introduction to Stan Lee was through this because at the start of the of the hour, I think it started with Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, but I could be wrong. But he, I would hear this, hello, true believers, and then he would kind of narrate the thing. Um, so he was able to sell some properties, but but you're right, it wasn't until... We got into the 90s and some technology um, was there to, and comic books were being taken more seriously that we were really approaching these movies. And of course, without, I think, the first Spider-Man movie and the first X-Men movie, I don't know that we are where we are today. Um, but for me growing up, I think my first introduction to Stan Lee was the Stan Soapbox stuff. And just hearing his voice at the start of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And he would get you excited. He'd say, hello, true believers. And he would talk a little bit about the heroes. And he would get you excited about it. And uh, so, yeah, not only did he have this impact as a creator, he had this impact as a salesman and, and someone who was becoming the public face of Marvel, even as he stepped away from the actual work on comic books and writing and editing. Yeah, um, but he, you know, he always pushed for comics. You know, he always, he was always comics' biggest supporter. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did that, and then up through the two thousands, uh, he was on the con circuit. You know, signing autographs and stuff. And then once the whole movie industry took off, he started becoming the face you would see in Marvel movies uh, that were produced by Disney, and I think even the Fox ones. Where he was, you know, he was just kind of this thing that tied them all together a little bit. Right. His first cameo was X-Men, right? Or X2. I think it was X-Men. Yeah. Um, it was one of those. But yeah, and then it just kind of turned into this little thing because fans loved it so much where everyone wanted to see Stan Lee. And it's just grown ever since then. And also, it's really funny that, like... DC even threw him in one of their animated movies. Yeah, it's great. It's great because, as you say, you know, it became less about the competition between Marvel and DC and more about everyone just loves Stanley. 
he was an ambassador for comics as a whole. Yeah. So I now I know they say he's got about five cameos in the can. So Captain Marvel, Avengers: Infinity War Part Two, Spider Man: Homecoming, or not Homecoming, Far Away from Home, and then Dark Phoenix. Yeah. And I can't figure out what the last one is, but... And, um, yeah, I don't know what the last one is, but I've heard the same thing, that he, I think he's got five cameos coming, so we're going to continue to see Stan. And I know that they said he, fil- he filmed his last cameo in the season finale of Big Bang Theory. Oh, really? Yeah. I hadn't heard that. So, I mean, Stan was, you know, even though the reports now kind of coming out are he wasn't as with it in these past months, year or so, you know, he was still working and still staying busy. Yeah, he had some troubles. We talked about that in his podcast. But it sounded as if he had overcome some of that and he was back in control of things at least as much as he could be with his failing and declining health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that has been getting missed in all this is he did that Spider-Man Weekly strip for 20-some years, maybe 30-some years. Yeah, now that you mention that, I do, I remember seeing that, and they reprint it in, like, the weekly or monthly comic book um, guide that you can get when you go to the comic store. But, yeah, I mean, he did that weekly, didn't he? Right. And even, I mean, he was working on a cartoon series, I believe, of some characters he created up, you know, in the past couple years here. Right, for Powell. Yep. His company, Powell. I mean, so... What would you say is your favorite memory of Stanley? Boy, that's hard to say. I mean, I have very fond memories of this Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Just hearing his voice. Um, you know, the, the original Spider-Man comic, and, and I think it was Amazing Fantasy, where Spider-Man started. Um... You know, just the line, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, we had talked about Superman and Batman were probably the most well-known comic properties, but I've got to say, I think the most well-known line in comics has got to be, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, And that's a lesson um, that I think is more important now, probably, or maybe not more important, but is as important now as it ever was, especially with some of the things that are going on in the world today. Um, yeah, I mean, Stan was years ahead of his time when it comes to, you know, civil rights and stuff. Something that's been passed around a lot these past couple of days is that essay he wrote about yeah, racism. Yeah, and I, I think right now it's a great thing to have out there. And that took guts to do in 1968. I think most media companies would would have shied away from that. Yeah, and I mean, he also, when you look at Marvel characters, I mean, it wasn't the most inclusive thing, but they weren't as bad as some other companies out there. No, and I mean, Stan created Black Panther or co-created Black Panther in the 60s. That's pretty amazing. To not only have a, an African American or an African, I, I, I shouldn't say African American, Black Panther's an African character, um, but he's black and he was a king, so he was the leader of his nation and he had the name Black Panther. I mean, that was, that was saying something at that point in time, especially since the, the thought probably was that 
Marvel didn't need to get political. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the thought would have been that they shouldn't have been political because they're selling things to kids. But of course, Stan was changing that as well. Yeah, no, I remember there was a story about, um, you know, back in the day, there was this thing called the Comics Code, and all comic books had to be approved by the Comics Code, and Stan Lee was approached about doing a Spider-Man issue, I believe involving heroin, and he essentially wrote up this story about a person overdosing and Spider-Man helping them, and when he brought it, when they were going to release it, they were like, you know, you're not going to get the comics code. And Stan Lee was like, well, this book is too important to not release. And he sent it out there anyways. Yeah, Stan, Stan really felt like, hey, we, addiction's a big problem, and we, we need to get something out there addressing it. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, you know, he, his readers were aging up with the, with the company. I mean, I think he's a big part of comics becoming more adult fare, more maybe older teenager fair. I mean, as I said, he would tour college campuses. He was very well-received to those audiences. So, um, you know, that that type of an issue probably spoke to a lot of people, a lot of his readers. Yeah. Um, So one of my first things that I can remember back to, like the first time I saw Stan Lee, I remember reading the Spider-Man comics when I was five or Six, but um, one thing I really remember was when I was thirteen, there was this show called Who Wants to Be a Superhero, and it was a reality TV show that Stanley hosted about these people who they were trying to prove that their superhero was the best, and if they won, Stanley was going to write a comic book about them. Wow! And it was cool. it was a sci-fi original reality show, and it was just really great. And there was something about Stanley being on it, and he was just so like. He made these people believe that they were actual, like, heroes, and just the, his approach to it, he was fun, and I thought it was great. Okay, I, it seems like I remember that, but I'd never watched it, you know. I remember, I think the first time I saw Stan on screen, I mean, I had heard him on screen, but the first time I remember seeing him on screen, for me, it would have been Mallrats. You know, he had Classic that part in Mallrats, and it was great. It was great, um... And, you know, you and I both listened to the Fat Man Beyond podcast with Kevin Smith and Mark Bernard. And, and, you know, I would suggest anyone that wants to hear some great stories about Stan Lee, check that out. Um, Kevin Smith has some, was relatively close, I think, to Stan Lee. And he had some great stories to tell on that podcast. Yeah. I mean, the this week, the world lost a legend. Yeah, the world you know, I, I feel the same way about this that I, I have when other people who I who I loved and or shaped my life in some way died. You know, I think the world is a worse place today. It's a better place because of the work Stan did, but I feel like it's a worse place because he's not here, right? Yeah. And and the one thing about Stan Lee was every time you saw him, he made at least for me, he made me feel good. He made me feel happy. I mean, he was he knew how to play Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even to, even, you know, towards the end of, of his public appearances, he was still doing his thing where he would do action poses and, hey, true believer, and try to get people excited about the industry and about superheroes and superhero characters. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the world. It seems a little darker without him here to kind of be there. 
Um, you know, you can go on Twitter right now and see a million people with pictures and stories about Stanley. Um, he just had a big impact on everyone he met and talked to, and even those that who just read his writing. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. He was, it's sad to see him gone. Yeah, and I, and you know, I think right now a lot of people know him more as a figurehead, and I mean, we recognize that he was the co-creator. But if you read blogs, if you read Claremont, or if you read Jim Shooter's blog, um, they very much talk about Stan had an eye for story and for art. And they talk about actually working with Stan when Stan was still working as editor-in-chief. And, you know, I, I hope people recognize that, you know, he wasn't just this figurehead. He wasn't just this guy out there selling comics. He had real comics. He had real creative vision. And he did a lot of the hard work, a lot of the work in the trenches as well. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, it's been kind of dreary, dreary. Is there anything you're kind of geeking out about or anything good that you can think of? Aside from, you're talking aside from Stan Lee? Yeah. Well, like, you know, it's because his death has been sad. What's something that made you kind of happy in the geek world recently? Boy, I don't know. I don't know. I've been so focused on this Stan Lee thing that, um, you know, I have been, one of the things that I talked about earlier on the podcast that I continue to hear news about is this new Star Trek series with Patrick Stewart. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very excited about that. I mean, I, I'm excited to see which one of the jet, the next generation characters come back to kind of guest star on that. But Patrick Stewart's great, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to that series. Um but other than that, uh, you know, I think I'm just sitting around waiting for Creed 2 to come out, and uh, I'm excited about that as well. Yeah, I, you know, I've, and this one's a little bit older, but um, I, I really, I can't rewatch this one episode because I think it's a technical masterpiece, um, The Haunting Hill House on Netflix. Um, it's a show about, you know, and it's kind of a, good show for some when you're sad because it's about um death and the death of a loved one and like parents grappling with like, how to protect their children it deals with some heavy topics but it's also kind of the spooky show and the sixth episode is shot in it's four 18 minute long like shots oh really yeah it's, it's interesting it's so cool so it it's all about they lost a family member, so they're in this funeral parlor, but then it cuts to, like, when they were kids, so, like, it swaps from the adult version to the kids, and it's really well done. It's a great show. I can't recommend it enough. You know, I was giving my haircut a couple of days ago, and the ladies there were talking about that show, and they were recommending that uh, I see it, so at least at the barber shop, there was some buzz on that as well. That's so weird to think about, like... When I think about people talking at barbershops, like, I think, like, community events and stuff, right. like, oh, yeah, the parade's coming up. But, like, to just go in there and be like, oh, my God, have you watched Haunted Hill House yet? Yeah, yeah, they were talking about it and telling me that I should read it and check it out, so. So, I guess that's it for this week. This is kind of our in-memoriam episode of Stanley. We've got some good stuff planned. We both went and saw Venom and have some things to say about that, um, even though... I mean, they're going to make another one that made so much money. 
And then there's talk as soon as Kurt sees Fantastic Beasts 2, we might even have a guest come on to discuss that one with us. So um, I guess instead, you know, you can find us on uh, Instagram at Kurt and Blake's Comic Conundrums, Facebook. Facebook, Kurt and Blake's Comic Conundrums. And instead of our normal have a nice week, I think we end it with an Excelsior. Excelsior. Bye.